When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Season 4, Episode 3, Your Charming is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here to break down our first regular week of Barry's final season with a third installment that continues to send things hurling ahead like a wayward car driven by Fred Melamed into various crash sites, as we've got a lot to dig into. Of course, I am not alone here. Sitting alongside me in said car is someone who I will always say you're charming to sincerely, uh, who definitely has, you know, less failings on her record than the work of Los Amigos Gadgets. It is the great Latanya Starks. Latanya, how are you? I Is our podcast uh, going to get, you think, as highly rated as Los Amigos Gadgets? I mean... It seems like it's a little bit of like the schadenfreude is so bad it's good rating as well for Los Amigos Gadgets. Like, oh, you got to check this out. These guys yeah. tried to do the, the s'more heating shirt and it ended up going wildly. I mean, we'll find out how one of those gadgets really backfires oh at the end of this episode. Just one of the many insane things that is happening, not only in this episode, but in Barry's final season. I mean, what I really love about the show from the get-go is how Maybe it's due to the eight-episode structure. They barely give us any time to breathe, much like that dude gave to Sally in the season three finale. This idea of, okay, not only do we have limited real estate in the series now, but also all these things that have been put in motion, Barry being an informant, Hank sending out a hit, Gene giving the one-man show, these plot points are immediately followed up in the next episode. And that's something I've always commended the series for. Not to say there's nothing wrong with like allowing plot points to marinate and come to the surface later, but Barry just doesn't operate at that speed. And this episode is a very clear indicator of that. Yeah, it is full speed ahead. And we are, I mean, I'm here for it. Uh, I'm excited to talk about everything that happened in this episode and uh, special guest stars included. Yeah, we've got a lot of high-profile <laughs> guests to get into for a show that is focused around the entertainment industry. Interesting to see people show up, perhaps not as themselves, though maybe in part. We'll get into mm-hmm. that actually at the beginning of this episode. Uh, but first, just to lay some stuff right off at the top here to give a speech a la Sally to her acting class, though hopefully not as unhinged and intense. <laughs> of course, uh, we want your ratings and reviews for our Barry podcast feed specifically. This is the beginning of the final season and people are always out there willing to check out any Barry coverage that might happen. And we would hope that you would like to prop up our coverage for people to see. So if you could please go to postshowrecaps.com slash Barry pod, leave us any ratings and reviews there. That would be fantastic. You you can also subscribe to our HBO show only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash HBO, which gives us coverage of this, of succession of, of course, some upcoming HBO shows that have been announced as well. So if you, don't want to miss out on coverage of the best lineup, perhaps, going on the market today in TV. 
be sure to subscribe to all those podcasts and uh, give us the feedback if you are able to. Let's start your charming, Latanya. Let's get into this episode because we start on a pretty arresting image, right? Ironically enough for the rare characters that aren't arrested mm-hmm. in the form of these gangsters. As here's a guy brandishing a weapon openly, <laughs> hauling in the sand. The sand is here. And interestingly, we really don't focus on a lot of stuff going on with the sand in this episode. So we have to assume things are going fairly smoothly with obviously one big exception that we'll get to later. But there's someone else to address right now. The elephant in the room. As Cristobal and Hank are going to look over and see this man in a nice maroon jacket and a black fedora and a walking stick. This is Toro, which was the guy that Hank was texting with last episode about breaking Barry out of prison. And LT, how short-sighted we were to not realize that, yes, Toro is a word in the Spanish language, (laughs) but it is one of the names of the inimitable director, Guillermo del Toro, who plays Toro? So wild that, I, and 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 even more wild that I recognize Guillermo del Toro's voice before I recognize him as a ah. person for some reason. I think it's because of that um, that limited series that he did on Netflix where he did all of the introductions, right? The Cabinet of Curiosities yes. or whatever it was called. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I was just like, wait a minute, is that Guillermo del Toro? <laughs> There's no way. And I Googled it. And of course, there he is. He is playing Toro, uh, which is fantastic casting yeah. and and great, a great stunt work at, at the same time. Yeah, he is so good in this, just like an absolute natural. This does not seem like, to your point, stunt casting for the sake of stunt casting. I guess the larger question I have, whenever this happens, when you have famous people appear on a show that is about the entertainment industry. My brain always goes to, okay, is this a universe now where Guillermo del Toro does not exist? Right. And like there instead is Toro. Does Guillermo del Toro (laughs) happen to look exactly like Toro? Like who directed directed Pan's Labyrinth in this world? It maybe doesn't exist in this world. And that's why so many things happen that are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's why everyone is so bad in this universe is yes. because Pan's Labyrinth has been not been brought upon the people. Exactly. Yeah, so Toro has very easily changed his job, right? He's gone from, okay, break Barry out to, okay, break Barry's head in, essentially. Yeah. He has hired two hitmen to go in and do this. What's interesting is I thought initially it was going to be an inside job of, like, he had two prisoners right. who were going to, you know, take up the shiv and commit themselves to the task. We'll find out later that no, it's just two guys outside. They're going to be able to infiltrate through other means. And we get some really fantastic content here. Latanya is very low key, like anti podcast. We've gotten two podcast bits in the past two episodes. I mean, if, if that's to be believed, then they're also anti-press, right? Because they did that whole, like, fake press junket last year where they yeah. were just making fun of... I, just, like, anti-anyone who hey might girl. talk about the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just so interesting. Uh, because, as we talked about before, this podcast is called Los Amigos Gadgets. Uh, this is run <laughs> by the two guys. And I'm assuming, you know, uh, will no longer be in production after the yeah. end of this episode. And they review gadgets each and every week. And... I love the sort of like 
Seinfeldy Kirby aspect to Hank kind of breaking it down of, yeah, you know, it's actually a surprisingly visual concept for a podcast. <laughs> and then Toro responding by saying, well, there is a YouTube link. He says, yeah, I'm not going to watch that while I'm driving, though. I mean, listen, it's a conversation I have had with people in my life. I'm going to uh-huh. say at least half a dozen times in the past 10 years. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Um, still trying to explain to many people in my life what a podcast is and what I do on one. So makes sense that uh, there would be some confusion about whether or not you should be viewing it or listening to it. Would you ever buy a shirt that heats s'mores in its pocket, whether or not it worked? No, there's no way. (laughs) I get, I get hot very easily for one. Mm. Uh, And two, if it did malfunction, if it did function properly, you're going to have hot pockets. Like Mm. that, that's just, that's the goal of such a shirt. Yeah, and I guess the question is, if you put a hot pocket in that hot pocket, Ooh. what happens? Does a wormhole open up? Does society so. collapse in on itself? Yeah, maybe you get Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, that's the access point that yes. we truly need. So that plan is put into gear, though we won't know exactly what that's going to entail until the very end. Meanwhile, we thought at the end of last episode, right? Yeah, Gene doing this one-man show for the press, probably not a good idea. And these chickens immediately come home to roost. First, we get the lovely return of Gene's agent, Tom, played by Fred Melamed. Yeah. What, what do you think of this character, LT, between season three and now? I just love whenever he comes onto the show because we get this duo comedy buddy of, of Tom and Gene. Uh, and there's always a lot of action going on whenever the two of them get together. Yeah, this seems like the most extreme version. Yes. Though. I feel like in a previous season, right, it was Fred kind of basing with Gene talking about like where he was in his career, working on that variety piece, etc. Here he's like, I will break into someone's house for you <laughs> and destroy personal property. I was not expecting any of what happened. The, the car crash... Uh, caught me off guard, but was a truly great gag um, <laughs> that I should have expected, perhaps, because they were in a car. Um, and then when he threw that ball of whatever through the window to just, like, break into the house, I was basically on the floor. I cannot believe that that is... They knocked for two seconds, and then they instantly decided that no one was home and thought that the first thing that they should do was to break into this house in broad daylight to destroy some things. Yeah, Fred Melamed is hardcore. Uh, you know, it's a different version of kind of the Jeff Larry dynamic from Curb Your Enthusiasm of like, oh, here's an agent that will actually kind of roll in the muck with you. Again, I feel like he didn't really do that last time. Now he's like, okay, we have to clean this up. Let's go commit major crimes together. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of major crimes, I guess I'll drop a little piece of exposition that we have here as well. Basically, the I called him the chief last time, the Charles Parnell character. Turns out he's the DA, is going to essentially remind Gene and Tob, hey, just so you know, you probably shouldn't say anything to anybody because now Barry is working with the feds, so there's a sizable chance he could get out. And if that's the case, he's coming for you. I love the brutal honesty that exists in Barry with its characters between, you know, what we're going to get later with the witness protection guy played by uh, one of those Sonic front men for the commercials. And then here where, you know, <laughs> the chief's basically like, uh, well, you know, witness protection can only get you to a certain extent. There's a pretty good chance that he'd hunt you down anyway, especially if he's an ex-military guy. 
Yeah, is he ex-military? Yes. Uh, I love the the Rip Torn prop gun. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> that you know, well, if Rip Torn gave it to you, it probably actually fires bullets. Um, that was great. Uh, Rip Torn's son was a professor at Northwestern when I went to school there. Oh, did you ever see him on campus? Uh, no, unfortunately. Mm. A very anticlimactic story. Um, but yeah, uh, this just having the the DA kind of pop up every week uh, to tell Mr. Cousineau a new thing to be afraid of <laughs> is is really a great gag that that has me consistently. And I love this actor, too. Yeah, I really liked his delivery where he talks about, I've had many cases like this, but I can't talk about them. And Tom replies, <laughs> oh, because they're classified? And he goes, no, they're really disturbing, and yeah. I just don't like thinking about them. <laughs> So it only really paints, you know, while Gene's painting hypotheticals to Tom, he's painting uh, very vivid pictures in his own mind as to what Barry could possibly be doing with him. Meanwhile, we go to prison here as Barry is making good on his deal with the feds, right? They have the cork board behind him mm -hmm. and he's saying, okay, you've got things good for me and Sally, right? And they said, yeah, have you told her yet? He's like, no, but yeah. I remember that one line that she told me last episode, so I'll be okay. He's going to get a very different visitor here. This is a big episode for Lon in more ways than one, as Lon is going to now follow up on the Cousineau story. And I see what he's doing a little bit, right? Trying to go to statement out of Barry by just dropping this idea of, oh, Gene Cousineau is throwing you under the bus, putting your name out there. And while Barry is taken aback initially, it does not take him long before he goes into what has now been a more customary version of Barry, which is rage-fueled. I was just going to say, Barry is just in a constant state of rage at this point. He is really not able to access any other emotions currently. And it's fueling him in a way that I don't think that we've seen in the past. Uh, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, because I feel like maybe a different version is the season two finale when he just goes, you know, full oh, cold heart and yeah. just takes out everyone in the monastery but that wasn't through that wasn't anger. rage yeah yeah like I, I think that's something that had been talked about in that season too right like in those moments with albert and kabul as like those moments he first accessed and why he tried to push that down and i think now it's not that he's accessing it as his superpower i think it's more so that like everything has fallen around him that this is all that's left right and so this is like barry at his most raw He's very raw, he's angry, and I think he's going to become vengeful, uh, you know, by the end of the episode. We don't know where he is. So I'm afraid for pretty much everybody that he knows at this point, because everyone has betrayed him in one way or another. Yeah, he's become his own vengeance panther, in a manner of speaking. No <laughs> need to recruit there. So let's talk about a different set of recruits. Sally is taking up Jean's advice, as she will attempt to pass on in this episode, she is teaching. And again, we talked about this last time, right? How in final season, sometimes we do like to go back to the well mm -hmm. of the first season. And we get that here in a number of ways between the fact that Sally seems to be teaching in the exact same place that Kusuno did. Uh, and also the fact that she is a little shaky to start because she addresses her own elephant in the room of mm -hmm. like, okay, are people only here because I'm a pseudo celebrity? But she finds at least initially that much like Jean, she's kind of surrounded by sycophants or at least people that sympathize with her and understand where she was coming from when she absolutely raged out at poor Natalie. 
Yeah, that that's every fight I've ever had with my sister, I think is a really great line and uh, reminds me of every fight I've ever had with my sister. Um, <laughs> normally don't use that word, though. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's interesting to see them kind of reconstitute the acting class uh, with like a lot of the same archetypes of people that were in the original season one acting class, but just kind of flipped for Sally. Yeah, at least initially. And what I love about Sally is the lesson she took from Jean's class that she's going to yeah. pass on. Not only the idea of, okay, let me just carbon copy what he did and pass it down, which as they'll, they'll really lampshade later, right? This idea of like hurt people, hurt people, and sort of like generational trauma and abuse ladders and all that. But this idea that she's going to speak about right here in her opening speech about how acting is about being vulnerable. We have to be the ugliest versions of ourselves. We all have it in us that you realize that she is one of the most talented actresses we have on the show of yeah. Sarah Goldberg and Sally. But it's because she has been disciplined in this very ass backwards way of like, well, you have to live through the worst parts of yourself so you could access that. And I think the unintentional side effects are that it is kind of made the inside parts on the outside and that Sally has manifested that in a lot of stuff that she's been doing these past four seasons. Yeah, I think that Sally is always a character that is kind of like driven and fueled by trauma in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, Mr. Cousineau's acting class taught her that that was a good thing for her to become more vulnerable to embrace that trauma. And I'm not necessarily saying that embracing your trauma is bad. It's just that right. when you deploy it in order to break down someone uh, to get them to then, you know, break down and access their own trauma, that becomes abuse. And that's something that the class, I think, rightly points out to her that just because this was done to you doesn't mean that you should get to do it to us. Yeah, actually, let's stay on that Sally stuff for the the rest of the storyline, because this is the one that I feel like is fairly siloed away from everything yeah. else. So I think it makes sense that we kind of take care of it in one fell swoop, because I love the point that you brought up, specifically the fact that, again, we are embracing this first season trope down to the fact that, okay, why is this a theater class and they're bringing in monologues from movies? Again, that's something right out of Cousineau. But the show rightly decides in this moment, no, we're going to put a reversal on it, that Gene Cousineau has a little bit of that je ne sais quoi to him that he's able to get away with right. the abuse that he hurls at his students to get something out of them. Because when Sally tries it here, and this is where, you know, the titular line is invoked, where one student's going to come up, do a monologue, or I can't even say monologue, it's just a line, just a line. From, from Sunset Boulevard, only to reveal that she essentially didn't prepare. And Sally is going to get up there and just dress her down completely yeah. uh, much like i'm assuming those casting agents did when they hired that woman in the first place for this big <laughs> acting role that she's preparing for this idea of her saying oh i'm sure people tell you that you're charming is that why you want to be an actress do you have a need to express something complex like hope or desire not an artist you're just a perfect pair of tits and then sally proceeds to like completely psychoanalyze her correctly and what's interesting, obviously, is how much is she speaking from an angle of the those who can't do teach of I've been through all this before. I've been told this in the past. That's why I know what you're going through right now. 
Yeah, I think it's exactly that because if we are kind of like looking at this acting class of Sally's as a reflection of the season one acting class, then this woman, uh, other than the fact that she didn't really prepare anything, is very much kind of the Sally archetype of the class. So I think that she is talking to a part of herself when she's kind of dressing this woman down as much as she's speaking to Kristen, the the name the character. Um, so it's, it's really difficult to, to watch for a lot of reasons. I mean, she really eviscerates this woman in front of a group of people and then does this quick turn and is like, okay, now say the line and thinks that because she was able to get this emotion out of her, that then makes it okay. Right. And it actually mirrors really well the beginning of a season one where I'm pretty sure it's in the pilot where Gene does the exact same thing to Sally, where she is doing a scene, he completely debases her and breaks her down. And then he says in that moment, okay, don't think, now say the line. And then she channels that emotion into it. Sally does the exact same thing here, expecting the same result. And perhaps it's the opposite of insanity in this regard, in that the result is different. You know, she turns to the class ecstatic, like, what? we she just did is the backbone of this class and she gets interrupted by someone saying oh no that was abusive yeah don't you're you shouldn't be able to get away with that now we understand that you weren't just having a bad day when you did that infamous viral video completely unhinged in every possible way i don't know what it is about sally going from having a panic attack in her mother's car to like laying under her father's desk trying to escape the world to thinking that she can teach an acting class right now like she's raw herself there's no reason that this makes any sense as a move for her to make other than like just pure narc like being fueled by narcissism yeah and i also wonder though how much of it is cathartic for her it has right? to be to your point, there is a lot of stuff that needs to be released. When she has that panic attack, those emotions are brimming to the surface of like, I can't believe I was epping there the entire time. And obviously a lot of the anger that she felt with Barry, with Jean, for knowing about Barry and not letting her know. I do think a lot of her diatribe to Kristen was channeling a lot of that. And the students call it out, right? They say, mm-hmm. just because it was done to you does not mean it's okay for you to do that to us. And yeah. again, we talk about how these characters all represent the same facets. And Bill Hader spoke about, particularly with the characters of Hank and Sally, like the infection that Barry had on them of perhaps being imbibed with these more angry, more violent undertones. And I think we're starting to see that with Sally of the fact that Walter White's style you know, she's doing it to help them, but she's mostly doing it for herself. Exactly. Yeah. Now, what is interesting is, at least at the moment, Sally's teaching career is like pseudo on the rocks, though she could pivot as, yeah, they take five, the majority of the class leaves, except for Kristen, who says, you're totally right. I did book this job. It's a really big scene. I went through three acting classes. You're the only person to bring that out of me. So I wonder if we move from her trying to teach an entire class to like her being an individual coach now. Yeah, an individual masterclass kind of uh, deal. Uh, Again, in the vein of Jean Cousineau. Yeah, and what would be interesting there is, again, if we're talking about 
Sally seeing a younger version of herself in Kristen, like how much would she latch onto that? Would this become a bit of a fatal attraction-esque relationship where now she's uh, holding on a bit too tight to this woman's fledgling career that she yeah. essentially has had to leave behind? Yeah, I mean, it. it all of the, the stage is set, literally, for uh, Sally to completely try to live through this woman and it is a little bit terrifying as to what's going to happen. I definitely can't see her going off into witness protection, though. I'll say that. 100%. Let's talk about a guy who is now wishing he took that deal that could put him in witness protection. Fuchs is just uh, alone. <laughs> Poor Big Bird. Poor Boo Boo the Fool. Have you ever been called Boo Boo the Fool before? <laughs> I, I have, actually. Really? So I'm feeling, Fuchs, since Michaela Bradshaw brought that back into the vernacular in a Survivor, Boo Boo the Fool has been hurled my way a number of times, deservedly so. But I love the irony, right, that I believe we, we only see them from the back, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's... the formerly nicknamed GrooveTube and Livewire that are now nicknaming Fuchs. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's those two guys for sure. Uh, and um, the fact that Fuchs get, gets on the phone and is so like taken aback by the fact that people are coming up with nicknames for him now and he's just trying to watch television is fantastic. It's really great. Yeah, so he is going to call Hank, to your point, in a fit of rage slash just event session about, oh, everything I've done in my life was for this kid. And what does he do? Give me nothing. And it's interesting. He'll invoke the brotherly comparisons later in Rain Man, but this goes back to like the father-son thing, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, I, sp I dedicated my life to you. Now you have to return the favor. Hank is a little distracted. He will tell Fuchs, don't worry about that. The Barry problem will be taken care of by day's end. There's another problem standing in front of him. And you and I speculated the past few weeks, like, Okay, RIP all the Chechens. Some of them got captured by the Bolivians. Some of yeah. them got gunned down slash arrested at the plant house. One survived. Batir is back. And he has quite the warning for Hank. Yeah, the elders are apparently not excited about Hank uh, and his, like, uniting this uh, crime utopia. Yeah, it's pretty much, okay, we sent you to LA for a reason, which is to take stake for us not for this like veritable UN of crime. <laughs> so essentially stop this sand shenanigans and come back to us mm -hmm. or another contingency I'm assuming led by Batir will rain down fire upon them. And Hank says, no, again, the Hank's got a lot of bravado. I feel like now he's got a bit of pep in his step. He's going to tell Barry off later on. He's going to tell off Batir right now. He is really surging forward with this new choice he made. He is, and it's interesting to see this happen because if Batir wanted to, he could just totally tank take Hank down. Like Batir is a big guy. Yeah. I don't. I, Hank doesn't seem like he's much into the fisticuffs, so I uh, was worried uh, for Hank in this moment. But yeah, he's standing firm, and he wants to continue doing what he's doing with Cristobal. Yeah, and it's interesting because Batir is technically Hank's boss, or at least he was brought in in season two to be his boss. So this also feels like an interesting piece of, you know, corporateness where he's able to say, as your supervisor, as your superior, I'm ordering you to shut this down. And Hank's saying, no, he's going independent. Take this job and shove it. 
Yeah. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I'm guessing that the crime contingent is going to come in from uh, the elders and there's going to be a showdown there. There's a lot for Hank to potentially deal with by the end of this episode, especially if we've got a loose Barry. Yeah, I got to imagine there's a short lifespan on like all of these uh, Bolivians and Guatemalans and the other people that were brought in, right? Like they seem so celebratory, both the Dave and Busters and in <laughs> this episode, that reverie is going to be broken when the Chechens come storming in. Has to be. Which, by the way, I don't think uh, I even realized this last time we were talking that the guy that they go to visit, the head of that uh, Asian contingent, is played by Francois Chow, a.k.a. Uh, Dr. Pierre Chang from Lost. Oh, I thought that that was him, but I didn't want to confuse anyone. Of course. For me, it was the sunglasses. I yes. just like couldn't see those eyes, so I couldn't put two and two together. I know that they say, how can people you know, not recognize Clark Kent is Superman with glasses? I would have fallen for <laughs> I, it. Yeah, you fall for Especially it. Especially sunglasses. If he decided to be that douche and wore sunglasses inside and I worked at the Daily Planet, I would be none the wiser. Who would be? Certainly not me. Well, let's get to some truly cartoonish stuff. We spoke about this before, but Tom and Jean <laughs> breaking into Lon's house in broad daylight. It's done as a one shot, which I adore. And it is just absolutely bananas, right? First, the fact that they actually do break in through the window to the calamitous sound effects of Tom walking into a room and then walking out and saying there's a kitchen <laughs> that was the kitchen Gene falls on all the glass and is like wondering how he can really get up or if he can get up at all He uh, Tom goes to the kitchen before he goes to the office and then there's this whole is uh, you've got to destroy the monitor these, these days everything is held in the monitor <laughs> no yeah. I love it and so Lon's wife is just in the backyard <laughs> and just overhears like, what is this shit going on in my house? And so she walks in and is understandably like, Gene Cousino, are you in my house? Somehow does not call the police immediately, no. given the broken glass in her house and two strangers, as Gene is actually going to, to his credit, like really allay the situation and say, oh, we really were worried about Lon. We haven't heard from him. And I love that while all this is going on, here's Tom in the background <laughs> tossing the monitor into the pool. And the the noise that Fred Melamed makes is so freaking good. It's basically like the onomatopoeia of alley-oop. <laughs> so wild. I had to rewind that scene because I laughed the entire way through it and missed a, a good bit of what was going on. I was really, I, I think it speaks to um, the quality that we talked about earlier that Sally doesn't have that Gene has, where he's able to kind of like put people at ease, even mm -hmm. though he's doing something incredibly nefarious. Uh, because this woman is just, there are two men in her house and she doesn't do anything. He just kind of takes her by the arm and is like, let's go, let's go over here and look this way. Yeah. And it works so surprisingly well. I mean, I think he's able to both coincidentally benefit from and subsequently take advantage of the fact that like she is worried about Lon as well. He said the right thing of, yeah. oh my God, I'm so worried about him too because she says, oh, he's been gone all morning. He said that he was going to follow up on some loose ends and go see, quote, you know, the father of one of the victims. 
and Gene's face will sort of drop there, much like the monitor into the pool. <laughs> that monitor in the pool moment. I want a gif of it right now with sound. 100%. So uh, we talked about the Sally stuff. I will say uh, one thing that I briefly missed on the montage of the bad acting. I love me some bad acting as difficult <laughs> as it can be. For me, it was the girl very chipperly talking about the first rule of Fight Club. That was really good. Uh, the fact that I recognize so many of these scenes, Shelby needs her juice. <laughs> <laughs> From Steel Magnolias. But the other thing is that, like, one of them wasn't even a line from a movie. Like, that guy that's like, hey, coach, it's me, Rudy. It's Rudy. Put, put, put me, me in. in. <laughs> it's like, if you had to describe the movie in five seconds, that's it. Rather that's than it. a direct line from Rudy. <laughs> really, really bad acting. So let's talk about a bad actor in his own right, in the form of Barry, yeah. who is going to call Hank right now. Hank is stunned that this is happening considering just how much his opinion on Barry has gone back and forth in the past 24 hours. And Barry's really going to try to like really capitalize on Hank's feelings for him. Right. At least previously. So yes. saying, Oh, Gene has just been spreading all this bad stuff about me. You're my friend, Hank. Aren't you? Don't friends do what good friends do and try to essentially put down the guy that's bad mouthing me. Hank shuts that shit right down. He says, are you looking out for me, Barry? And he really fixates on the fact that Barry seems incredibly selfish. I think, obviously, he is sticking from the fact that Barry is apparently an informant for the FBI, despite Barry trying to, like, say, oh, no, Gene is the one that's really going to get us into right. trouble here. He's the one who has the information. And Barry is going to try to continue to lie to himself in a manner of speaking by saying, I've only been good to people. I'm a good friend. I'm a good person. This is who I am. He's going to deny vehemently talking to the FBI. But of course, as all conversations of Barry season four and with this titular character, he's going to fly into a rage yeah. at the end of it, threatening to come for him when he gets out. You're a tough guy. You think you're effing tough. You're not effing tough. You don't know what tough is, mother effer. And Hank's going to send him off by saying, why don't you enjoy hell, you murdering, self-centered, lying, effing, narcissistic piece of shit? Summed it up pretty nicely. Yeah, that is a pretty good summation of exactly what Barry is. And it, I, it's interesting that we get it in episode three from Hank. Yeah, that's the thing as well, is that it felt at least in the first couple of episodes that the lone emotional holdout from the outside world Fuchs is obviously there on the inside is Hank who was the one that wanted to spring Barry in the first place but it's clear that he feels like a deep betrayal by the fact that Barry was going to turn him in you know that mm -hmm. is sort of the sword cutting both ways of him having that very personal tie to Barry previously is that it hurts that much more when Barry decides to sell him out and so it's really interesting to see Hank throughout this entire episode I feel like probably act his most powerful act like the criminal mastermind that he always believed he could be, but just wasn't able to, you know, delightfully. So from our perspective. Yeah. There's something about escaping a bunch of, uh, you know, gangsters and a vengeance Panther of some sort and rescuing your love that really, you know, Hank wears well because he has, had so much confidence in this season, um, earned, I think. And he really does tell Barry, I mean, he he get he calls out a hit on Barry 
And he really does tell Barry exactly what he thinks of him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with these two characters going forward, especially considering what happens at the end of this episode, which I know we're going to get to. Right, because even if we didn't know what Barry's fate may or may not be, the idea that like we have gotten throughout these first three episodes, all of these characters, quote unquote, saying goodbye to Barry, or at least what they imagine yeah. it is of he's going to be behind bars either for the rest of his life or his life ends very quickly as shortly thereafter we talk. So like, these are my final words to him. That being the case, of course, that's not going to be the way it works out. Happy yeah. endings are far from neat in a show like Barry. And so it was only inevitable that like, however it happens, Barry is going to continue that conversation in some way. Oh, for sure. And probably with that rage that we've seen him display all season so far. Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, a very different type of conversation, perhaps a multilingual conversation as I don't know, maybe the lawn storyline has been tied up already. <laughs> Leave it to Jim to tie up these loose ends. Gene is going to come and we, we skipped over the scene earlier, but Lon's going to drop by with Jim and just, you know, courteously drop the fact of, oh, well, Gene Cousineau did this thing for me, presented this three-hour one-man show about everything that happened. And, you know, maybe this still is a TBD as to, like, does Jim enact this revenge on Gene for his loose tongue? At least in this moment, though, Jim was in the mode of, like, damage control, right? Let me try to make sure that no information gets out. And so Gene finds Jim hosing out his trunk, which just makes me think of, like, Pulp Fiction worst-case scenario. Seriously, Because, first off, Jim is going to, you know, chastise him for doing this say you can't be trusted you have to be isolated which makes me a little fearful for gene maybe now gene's going to be spending like the rest of the season in a buffalo bill-esque pit in the middle of jim moss's basement Uh, but gene is going to admit yeah i exaggerated things to make myself look better let's just clear stuff up with lawn and we can move forward and jim says don't lawn won't be talking to anybody for a long time and we see why as we cut to the aftermath of Whatever the hell happened, Jim said, let's go to my garage, which as we saw with the scene from Gene in season three, what that could possibly entail. It's a much worse consequence than what happened to Gene as Lon looks physically roughed up, but linguistically very roughed up. He's missing everything. Any piece of evidence now, I think, of this story is now officially DOA, as is his grasp of the English language, as now... All he could apparently do is speak German. Yeah. He doesn't even eat Skittles anymore. Now he eats gummy bears. Like everything about this guy has changed in the course of one episode and just going to someone's garage. I am terrified about what might have happened. Uh, but at the same time, it's so funny that we just get it left open. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we have no idea what it was. Yeah, let's be clear. I 100% think we are not getting a follow-up on this. Like, we are not <laughs> answering this question whatsoever. Because we've talked about this previously, right? Like, mm-hmm. Barry loves to embrace the absurd. Yeah. Even outside of the surrealistic aspects like the dream sequences last time, I go back to Ronnie slash Lily with the feral karate gi wearing child <laughs> of just sometimes the show likes to go in ridiculous directions. And here it's much better from a comedic perspective for us to come up with some sort of 
reasonable imaginative procedure where Jim Moss was somehow able to like reconstruct Lon's grasp of language and his taste in candy <laughs> while like barely roughing him up and making him a little dirty without having to actually talk it through. I think it just works so well from a comedic beat. If this is indeed the end of the Lon storyline, I think it actually ends up turning out really nice there as well. So yeah, I, I love the place where we ended things here. It was as sweet and delicious as a nice packet of Haribo gummy bears. Really great three episode arc for Lon. Uh, I'm thinking that this is the end for him as well. And I'm just concerned for his poor wife. His career is clearly over now as well. So. Yeah. I, well, I don't know. His editor could just like get a translator <laughs> That's in there, true, right? I guess. Get that yeah. app where like you speak into it and it translates <laughs> into German and back. Obviously, I know we are dropping these at, right after the episode airs to get, you know, maximum eyes on it. But I do wonder if in the interim seven days between episodes, if someone's able to translate the German of what Lon is saying to see, maybe we actually will get an answer as to what exactly Jim did to him. I Yeah, maybe we will. But I don't, uh, all I got out of it, because my mom speaks German, mm. all I got out of it was, would you like some gummy bears? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I don't speak German. <laughs> Well, let's move on to how Fuchs ends things uh, as he sees things are about to end for Barry as he <laughs> has the umpteenth change of heart, this time by watching Rain Man, of all things, and says, that's us. Listen, there's just something about that movie that makes you sentimental. Uh, I don't know what it is. Have you never cried watching Rain Man? Rain Man is such a freaking good movie. It's I'm so sure. Good. I'm sure I've, I've welled up from at certain aspects. Uh, but yeah, it's just wild to think that of all things, Rain Man is thing, and especially it speaks to like how Fuchs views Barry, right? Exactly. Of like that he's the very special uh person in more ways than one. Very talented, but perhaps a little off. And Fuchs is like the slick guy that was able to utilize that yet still love him at the same time. Right. Yeah. Because of course he's the Tom Cruise character, uh, Fuchs. Of course he sees himself as that. 100%. Uh, And so he ends up gaining a heart for Barry in this moment. And now knowing that the hit is in on him is going to try to desperately tip somebody off like, oh no, Barry's in trouble. And these guards could not give less of a shit. Understandably, so considering again like their line of work i haven't really thought unless there's like a martha stewart type in prison i don't think of many cases at least from what i've seen in like various pop culture instances in prison where the guards are like no we must stop the prisoner from getting killed by the other prisoners yeah prison guards don't give an f like they are there to collect a check and probably beat the hell out of you uh, they do not care if if it's someone dies. That is one less person that they have to shepherd around this place. So, yeah, yeah. And I do, I do love Fuchs though in a last gasp of desperation, trying to like spread the news. Yeah, you know, if the guards won't hear it. The prisoners <laughs> will. Barry Berkman's done. Come on, everybody. We all love him. Let's push it. Let's start a riot. <laughs> Because he's endeared himself so much to everybody while he's been in here. Listen to Big Bird. Let's fly. (laughs) Truly boo-boo the fool. Well, let's get into the climactic ending of this episode. So Barry is going to be taken into what turns out to be the final meeting with the FBI, as well as some witness protection people. 
And they're going to go into their brutally honest routine, right? Of like, well, listen, this will hopefully happen sooner rather than later. We can't say we didn't make the omelet without breaking a few eggs, but by and large, it'll turn out pretty well for you. And Barry looks into the back and we see a visibly panicked Fred Armisen sweating buckets standing there in a suit muttering to himself. (laughs) This was just such, there are such good sight gags on this show. Uh, This was such a good one because when the, with the formation of the agents, we don't really see uh, Fred Armisen in the back until the close up happens on him. And it's like, what is Fred Armisen doing here? Get uncle Fester out of here. Uh, And, and yeah, he's just muttering to himself, completely giving himself away causing Barry to then point at him and go, that guy's here to kill me. Just in the most calm (laughs) tone of voice that you have ever heard someone say that, like mutter that sentence. And I love it because of the buildup and swerve that we had Toro in the beginning, right? And given his sort of resplendence, you assume, okay, these are two of the best guys in the biz, even if they podcast on the side. (laughs) We get this one scene where like, Barry's stewing in the yard and then he sees this one guy staring at him and kind of takes off and we think okay that's one of Toro's guys right but no at least one of these guys is woefully unequipped Uh, and so of course I had assumed that Barry would make it out through the end of this episode because a we are three episodes into an eight episode final season Mm -hmm. and b because like that's how Barry is so many things have been sent out against Barry and he has always prevailed at the end of the day, even under ludicrous circumstances. And so, yeah, of course it makes sense here that out comes Fred Armisen. And even when he's called out, I initially thought it was going to be a dream sequence at first. I was like racking my brain of when did Fred Armisen show up in Barry? But then when everyone parts the Red Sea and shows that he is indeed there, he's going to step forward and say, this is for Cristobal and Hank. And seemingly, I would imagine, tries to deploy some sort of, like, pen gun. Yes. Only to lead to one of the most gruesome things I think we've seen on the show. Because we do not cut away from it. His finger just absolutely being blown off, Jason Pierre-Paul style. Yeah, that was unexpected. Um, I I wasn't expecting a lot of things. I wasn't expecting a gadget uh, (laughs) from Los Amigos Gadgets uh, to be the murder weapon and i was shocked when i saw his hand get blown off it, it looked so realistic as well like that was really well done yeah it was really well done incredibly visceral and the fact that he just like sinks to his knees and starts crying to himself <laughs> for the rest of the episode but i love it right it was plotted out so well that of course if these guys are hired to be assassins they're going to look at their own supply and be like why do we need to buy a rifle let's just use one of these gadgets not realizing in that moment that the gag behind their podcast is that the gadgets are bad and that they will lead to a lot of bodily harm. For what it's worth, the other guy ends up in a worse faith than Fred Armisen, but does better with his gadget. He just straight up points a gun out of the ceiling tile and guns down everybody. Sans Fred Armisen and Barry. R.I.P. my favorite FBI agent. He's done now. It makes me sad. I know. He's gone. You're going to miss him. I really am. He did have, he had a really great line to send him off though earlier in the episode when Barry's uh, talking about Cristobal and Hank, right? He's like, they, you know, started as enemies. They were working on a project together and then they found love. And he just goes, must be nice. (laughs) So he went out on a high note, but yeah, that lead is dead at this point for a number of reasons. First, they're all gunned down. 
Barry is able to, you know, deflect the bullets, is able to kill the guy who then hangs down from, you know, a bunch of wires from the ceiling, picks up a gun and pauses. And then the next thing we see is all of these guards and I assume the warden of mm-hmm. the prison charging in to the calamity in front of them and Barry is gone. But Tanya, wary Barry. <laughs> It's an excellent question. I I don't understand how he could have escaped given that he's still in all the prison garb and there would have probably been armed people on the doors as well. Uh, But, you know, Barry is pretty good at at escaping and getting out of situations. So I think we're going to have Barry at large for the rest of the season. Yeah, my best guess at this moment is that he saw where the second assassin came from and he snuck into the ceiling tiles and he's like hanging out up there until the coast is relatively clear because the other big thing is that the prison went into lockdown as soon as shots were fired and so like i would assume unless this prison is really really chintzy there is no way to get out of this place you can't like hop a fence or anything i imagine what next episode will be is some form of like Barry biding his time when the opportunity is right then he'll try to make his escape perhaps aided by Fuchs maybe it'll be something where like Barry promises to take Fuchs with him and then Mm -hmm. sacrifices him at the last second leaves him behind and then Fuchs is mad at his rain man all over again but yeah it's a very big place to leave things considering that as we mentioned so many people as recent as Hank have told Barry off in saying goodbye to him only to realize I think that goodbye is far from final Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got several episodes left of this season, so that is not a final goodbye. And especially if you send in, this is just a lesson that podcasters should not be used as assassins. Yes, please do not pay for us to do that. (laughs) Do not hire us. I'll take your money, but I'm not going to do it for various reasons. Uh, I'm only, you know, made of so much Latanya. anything else you want to bring up about this particular episode before we look ahead to uh the mid-season finale in a manner of speaking of barry even though we're not taking a break in between episodes uh no i think that we covered everything i had a really fun time watching this episode and i'm really excited to see what happens in the rest of the season yeah completely agree i feel like it is barry at its best it's a perfect cocktail of just ridiculous absurd comedic lines and characters and circumstances with like some very good dramatic character work that speaks to what exists within us all and then some like absolutely balls to the wall action stuff that somehow Mm -hmm. ends with our main character making it out alive that is like everything we love about barry and so much more so let's hope the hits keep on coming with next week season four episode four It takes a psycho. Let's see who that titular psycho may be. Otherwise, Latanya, I know you have a lot of stuff going on at this moment. No Los Amigos gadgets, but certainly lots of podcast appearances aplenty. What do you have going on? Well, I was planning on actually taking up the banner of Los Amigos gadgets now that the the two uh, gadgeteers are no longer. (laughs) Now, would you take their title? Is this sort of like a you know late show thing where you have to keep the same name or are you gonna call it like los amigos gadgets dose (laughs) 
Los Amigos Gadgets Cruise Control. <laughs> yes. <I think. laughs> so it's only gadgets that you can bring on a cruise. Exactly. Um, and while I'm doing that, um, I'll also be uh, talking about Snowfall, which I guess it's a lot of final seasons for me because this is the final season of Snowfall and it just aired its last episode ever. And Mari and Chappelle and I are going to be talking all about it later today. So um, that's something that's really exciting. Mari Chappelle and I also talked about Swarm. Uh, we covered the final two episodes. So you might want to check that show out. If you enjoyed Atlanta, if you like serial killers, um, like a berry, for example, um, <laughs> then you might enjoy Swarm, which is another ridiculous TV show um, that we covered only over at The Connect. Um, also, we are on the final episode of The Mandalorian. So, yeah, no more Din Jaren, no more Din Grogu for quite a while. Uh, but uh, Rich and I had a fun time talking through all of your feedback over there. So please tune in for that. Josh and I are still at it, uh, talking versus. We are doing Succession versus Yellow Jackets. And last week, we had a couple different competitions for power. Um, it's interesting how these shows are aligning in a weird way. Huh. Yeah. You wouldn't think that they would have anything in common, but it truly is eat or be eaten over on the Versus podcast. <laughs> so you have to tune in for that. And then speaking of delicious dish, uh, <laughs> Top Chef. I am uh, working with Kurt Clark and Haley Strong, and we are doing the Top Chef for half up for all of you for... Um, season 20 which is an international all-star season so hopefully you all are watching and enjoying the show so you can listen to our podcast um if you want to check out everything that i am doing i am continuing to be an unverified person on twitter at lk starts and you can also find me on instagram at stormborn 1222 and I am the recently unverified at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, but we're all verified in each other's hearts. So that's all exactly. that matters. Yeah, you spoke about The Mandalorian. It was a big week for uh, astronomical conclusions mm -hmm. as I got to wrap up season three of The Mandalorian with DM Philly. I also wrapped up Star Trek Picard, both season three and the series oh. as a whole with Jessica Lise and Rob Sesternino. Beginning this week was Mrs. Davis, an absolutely out there show from Damon Lindelof and Tara Hernandez starring Betty Gilpin as a nun trying to take on a sentient AI. It is every bit as ridiculous as you think it is with that conceit and more. So we are doing daily podcasts about the first four episodes, which started releasing on Thursday. Myself and Josh were on the first two. Myself, Josh, and Go Gar Joe Garfine were on episodes three and four before the show goes weekly. Of course, if you are listening to this podcast when it drops on a Sunday night, probably at this moment, I will be talking Succession. I will be subbing in for Josh on the Succession Live Recap Podcast alongside Jess and Grace Leader. I think I'll also be doing the wrap-up show at the end of the week as well in Josh's absence. So check that out. I cannot imagine what we are in store for. Hopefully it goes along well with the Barry shenanigans that soon follow it. Other than that, some more stuff in the hopper as well, but perhaps I can plug that next week. And speaking of next week, that's when Latanya and I will be talking about It Takes a Psycho, episode four of Barry's final season. Again, send us ratings and reviews, postshowrecaps.com slash BarryPod or postshowrecaps.com slash HBO. We really appreciate any eyes you might be helping put on this. I know that... We're hopefully not wanting to ping on the radar of someone like Jim Moss, 
But assuming that no one like that is out there, we like the attention. So please, uh, if you could, you know, let people know in your lives about these Barry Recap Pods for those that are interested. Please do, because we've been having a lot of fun with it. It's been a great season, and they've been very fun conversations. Those conversations will continue next week with episode four of Barry. Thank you all so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. And see you.